Hello, and welcome in to another edition of the Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Nick and Eric coming at you just after round one of the NHL draft has wrapped up here. Eric, July 4th weekend is upon us in a couple days here. Any big plans? What uh, What are you up to? Uh, me and my family always go up to my uncle's lake house in Wisconsin, so we'll be up there chilling on the beach, probably getting sunburned. Very nice. Sandbox, I'll be right across really the pond beach. in Michigan at oh, yeah. uh, my family's uh, lake house, so I think uh, if you shine a light across, UP? I might be able to see you. Uh, no, not UP. It's uh, South Haven. Shout out South Haven, okay, Michigan, gotcha. best vacation town in the United States. It's about an hour north of the Michigan border, so it's... Uh, pretty far south as far as Michigan is concerned, but very excited for that. Should be a good time. Um, All right. Before we kick off our hockey content, uh, I'm going to introduce this uh, for the first few times that we do it, but uh, eventually we're just going to roll right into it. But we are starting each episode with a hot take, be it sports or otherwise. Eric, go ahead and kick it off with uh, what is an awful hot take once again, but uh, just give it anyway. You wanted them hot and spicy. I'm just out here to deliver. Okay. (laughs) Um, So in honor of 4th of July weekend, in my humble opinion, fireworks are stupid as fuck. Yeah, I mean, you if you wanted to just turn unless off, okay, I'll give you leeway. If you're lighting them off, fireworks are kind of cool. But like, if you're not lighting them off, you're just going to a crowded place where there's fuckloads of traffic, I guess. Or if you can watch them from like your balcony, because we could watch them from my cousin's balcony, and they're like all right up there. But like. If you're, like, in a crowd and then you have to sit in, like, fucking hours of traffic like you do, like, downtown Chicago if you go to the fireworks, oh, my God, it's awful. So I can I can respect the the traffic aspect of this. I, I'm thinking more of just a fireworks in general. I, I don't know. There are plenty of neighborhood shows that I've been able to go to where I haven't had to deal with that problem, uh, per se. But I guess as a Chicagoan, maybe that's something you associate with fireworks more than I would. Uh, but yeah, I mean, okay. Sitting in hours of traffic for a fireworks show, maybe not worth it, but I think in general, in general, fireworks shows are underwhelming. Great to look at. Okay. Well, that's also a horrible take. So thanks for rounding that out for me. Uh, my hot take of the evening, uh, and this one, I feel like a lot of people agree with me on this, but it is, uh, it needs to be said anyway. Ketchup is the worst condiment that there is. Oh, so you got like a Uh, honey barbecue take here. Well, honey barbecue is great, but I, I, I'm just saying that ketchup is horrible. I feel like it's kind of the standard go-to uh, condiment on you know all restaurant tables across the United States, and uh, it should not make its way anywhere near my table uh, unless asked for by some hooligan. But I think I think it is I think it's better to have ketchup for a fry than nothing. But that's that's about it. I think any other condiment that you could possibly dip a fry in, it's better than ketchup. So. Eric, how, how do you feel about ketchup? Uh, average condiment? I mean, because it's the one that comes on the table. That is usually what I dip my fries in. But, I mean, like, I also, like, would prefer me some, some honey mustard, some barbecue sauce. I don't know. Buffalo sauce. Cutting out a little bit there, Bob, but I think you kind of agreed with me. So at least we can establish some sort of common ground on this uh, this hot takes episode before we head uh, to the hockey content. But let's go ahead and stop bearing the lead here. 
Uh, we're going to go through a different, a couple different sections here. We're going to start with reactions to the trades that have happened in between uh, the about two-week period since we last did a podcast and now. Uh, pretty decent amount of action uh, in the lead-up to the draft. Not much on draft night, which was somewhat disappointing, but uh, yeah. still plenty of trades to discuss that have uh, actual relevant players headed uh, you know, back and forth here. We're going to give a little reaction to round one, although, like I said, it was a little vanilla. And then we're going to go with some updated free agency predictions, mostly on the back of the trades that were made, some holes that you know we saw got filled, uh, that sort of thing. So we yeah. might have we we, tr- we changed a few of our free agency predictions. We'll go over that as well. But Eric, let's start with the trade uh, reaction here. We're going to go chronologically. So the first one that happened after we did our pod of note was Colorado receiving Ryan Johansson. From the Nashville Predators, uh, he has two years left on his deal. Nashville ate half the deal. It was $8 million per season, so that means that Colorado will be employing Ryan Johansson for two years at $4 million per. They sent back uh, the RFA rights to Alex Galchenyuk, but Nashville did not re-sign him. So this was essentially Nashville just dumping half of uh, Johansson's contract on the, uh, the Avalanche. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, well, I think Ryan Johansson will actually be a pretty solid fit for Colorado. I think he'll do a decent job of filling that 2C two, two spot. I know they've struggled without Nazem Kadri there. Um, I'm surprised they couldn't net a little bit more of a return in Nashville, considering they did eat half his contract. And something I didn't actually think about till just now is, like, traditionally under uh, Poyle, Nashville was, like, very against retaining contracts like they held out every inch to only retain like four percent on the at home deal now as soon as trots takes over they're eating half of the uh rijo contracts i think that's kind of funny yeah i was surprised as well this is one of three trades that are of the same flavor where basically a team either you know had to eat some money but is just giving a player, uh, you know, giving away a player for nothing just for the salary relief. Yeah. We see this happening because of the stagnation of the NHL cap, uh, mostly due to the COVID season. It should shoot up here in the next couple of years, but teams are kind of uh, in a crunch to get under the number, uh, especially this season, because it's not expected to go up very much from last year. Uh, But yeah, I, I think... Colorado did fine in this trade. I'm not a huge Ryan Johansson fan myself, but at two years, $4 million per, it's pretty low risk, hard to argue with uh, from Colorado's perspective. And they obviously gave up very little to do so. Alex yeah. Galchenyuk, probably not a part of their plans anyway. So uh, essentially just signing Ryan Johansson in free agency at two years of $4 million per is what they did here. Um Let's go to the next one here. Sean Dersey on the move for the LA Kings. They had a salary cap crunch as well, as we will get to later. They had to, uh, you know, get rid of some deals to make a certain player uh, available for them uh, that they signed to a long-term extension. Again, we'll get to that. But Sean Dersey, a a pretty young, capable puck-moving defenseman on his way to Arizona for a second-round pick in 2024. What do you think? Uh, Sean Dersey is actually one of the cheaper of their defensemen, but the issue with him is he's not—he's playing on the left side all of last year, and he's a righty. So, um, going to Arizona, he's going to get a ton of minutes. I think his points are probably going to jump, but uh, he has to play on Arizona, so there's the downside. Um, not really much else to say yeah. other than that. He'll be back on the right. Poor Sean Dersey, I think, <laughs> is kind of the the overarching. Uh, yeah. Right here. I, <laughs> I, I'm a little surprised they didn't get more than this. I, I like him as a player quite a bit. Uh, right-handed defensemen are 
you know, a commodity in this league. Uh, on that could be know, a pretty high second round formats. pick, though. I don't know. It could be. You're right. It is Arizona's second round pick, so you would expect it to be, you know, in the 30s. But uh, still, Dursey, a pretty capable player. I would have. I think it's weirder from Arizona's end than the Kings' end, but. I do. I do. Agree. I guess he I is still kind of young too. He's younger maybe, than I realized. He's like 24, 25. If they he? if they stick him on the first line, give him 24, 25 minutes a night, they might you know create some faux production out of him that would lead to a bigger deal down the line as far as uh, you know flipping him to another team or maybe they just see him as a a decent player to build around. But uh, I, I like the value play from Arizona, a second round pick for a, a really solid. NHL defenseman. I I don't think they're going to get less than that if they decide to trade him at the trade deadline. Let's put it that way. But uh, let's go to your team here, Chicago, uh, dealing for Taylor Hall from the Boston Bruins. This is the second of three trades that were essentially just salary dumps. Chicago gets Taylor Hall, the UFA rights to Nick Foligno, who they did sign to a one-year $4 million deal. They traded away two RFAs that I don't even know if Eric has ever heard of, and he is a diehard black. I, I have fan, heard of both and, of them. Uh, Ian Mitchell was supposed to be good. He's not going to be Alec Regula. We basically drafted because he was Adam Bokefist's D partner and junior, and now we no longer have Adam Bokefist. So, go team. <laughs> um. So, yeah, two guys that we're probably not going to factor into your future plans is what I'm saying. Uh, basically, just just eating Taylor Hall's contract is the uh, the crux of this trade. Give me your thoughts. Uh, I like it for the Hawks, honestly. Taylor Hall is probably, in terms of skill-wise, better than we could have done on the free agent market, except for maybe Tyler Bertuzzi if he got out there. But then also he does have that experience of being a first-round pick, and then he also just brings a little bit a little bit of that lottery magic to Chicago with him. Um, then on the other side of that, we overpaid to keep Nick Foligno around, but I still like him in the room. He's got... He's got a lot of leadership. He's worn a C before. He'll throw some hands if somebody gets, you know, too rough with Bedard. So I like to see it. Yeah, I, I don't like to admit that the Hawks made a good move, but I really like it from their perspective. Uh, like you said, they could have gone the free agent route, gone for somebody like Tyler Bertuzzi or a Michael Bunting, someone like that to fill this role. But they would have had to give a longer contract to that uh, that player, most likely to get them to come play for a you know a lottery team. Even though Connor Bedard is joining the Blackhawks, it's probably not a winner next year. So to get Taylor Hall at two years, even if it's a slightly overpaid six million, uh, very low risk. Someone that you know, worst case scenario, you could eat half his contract and trade him for something. Yeah. Uh, same with Nick Felina, one year, four million dollar deal, slight overpay, sure, but. Who cares? Uh, oh, especially next year, year, if we want to flip Taylor Hall matter. as a rental, it, one yeah. year, three mil, somebody will give us solid assets for Exactly. That. And Nick Foligno, one-year deal, so it's not hurting you on your cap long-term. Makes all the sense in the world for the Blackhawks, and Boston gets the salary relief they were looking for. I think it makes sense on both sides here. Uh, last of the three trades that were basically just someone giving away a player for uh, salary relief. This is the Kevin Hayes deal. My Blues picked up uh, Kevin Hayes from the Philadelphia Flyers. Philadelphia retained 50% of his contract, and we gave them a 2024 sixth-round pick. Uh, pennies on the dollar here for Kevin Hayes. Give me your thoughts. Uh, sorry, you're breaking up a little bit there. Eric, uh, sorry, give me your thoughts on the Kevin Hayes deal. Um, I like it for the Blues. I've liked the trades for the teams getting the 
cap dumps and all of these situations. I think all of these are still at least relatively useful players, especially in roles that they're going to be put in on their teams. Um, of the teams that are doing the salary dumping, I understand it the least from Philadelphia's standpoint. Um, but I'd like it. I think Kevin Hayes will do a good job in the two or three C, depending on what you guys do in free agency here. Um, like you said, you basically had to give up nothing to do it. He had pretty solid numbers in Philly, despite not having a great relationship with their coach, John Tortorella. So, yeah, good move on your half. Yeah, hard to argue with from the Blues' perspective. I think I echo pretty much what you said there. Uh, pretty low-risk investment. Uh, his contract ends up being uh, around $3.5 million for three more years. I don't love trading for another 30-something player. We have quite a few of those on a team that didn't play well last year. So I don't know if I'm betting on you know these 30-somethings coming back and being better than they were last year. But either way, uh, very low-risk investment here in Kevin Hayes and uh, someone we could probably, similarly to you and Taylor Hall and similarly to uh, Colorado, although they won't be flipping anybody at the deadline, uh, we, could, we could trade Kevin Hayes and eat his contract and you know, get something back for him. So easy, easy play from the blue side. Philadelphia looks like they're just really hitting the hard reset button here. Uh, I think they probably could have held out for something a little better than a sixth round pick next year, but Daniel Briere is really just tearing it down to the studs here. So I, I can commend him for at least sticking to the plan. Yeah. All right, let's get into some of the more uh, interesting transactions on both sides here that aren't just salary dumps. Uh, this one, me and you liked quite a bit for both sides, I think. Yeah. Uh, that is Montreal acquiring Alex Newhook from the Colorado Avalanche. He is a young center uh, that was about to be a restricted free agent. Colorado received uh, a, a low-tier defenseman prospect, Gianni Fairbrother, uh, the 31st and the 37th pick in this draft. Give me your thoughts. I do, like you said, I like it from both sides. I think Alex Newhook is going to be pretty solid, given a bigger role in the uh, Montreal system. They did a similar thing with Kirby Doc last year where they flipped some picks that are, aren't really proven players or assets into something that has actually played in the NHL before. Worked out pretty well for them. On the flip side, Colorado probably didn't really want to pay Alex Newhook. Could have found somebody better to fill that role at the 3C. And so they got the picks. Yeah, I, I can't really add anything uh, to what you said there because I just I completely agree. It makes sense for both sides. Colorado gets a decent return here. Montreal gets the proven player instead of the... Uh, you know, late first and early second. I think it's early. I think it's uh, it's important to point out here for those that maybe don't know how the NHL draft works. The top ten is usually pretty is a pretty much a sure thing. That those players, top ten to fifteen players, you're going to expect them to be on an NHL roster within the first two or three years of being picked, and they should be good players. Past that, it's a very big crapshoot, even more so than say football, basketball, yeah. um, I'd say basketball may be somewhat similar actually to the NHL in this regard, but all these players are pretty much lottery tickets at this point. So good for Colorado to pick up some capital, but again, Montreal, nothing guaranteed at 31 or 37 in an NHL draft. Yeah, nice for absolutely. them to just get a, uh, a young player that they can uh, just plug into their lineup immediately. So to piggyback off that, the uh, Colorado Avalanche took that 37th pick and gave it to the Tampa Bay Lightning for Ross Colton. He is a bit of an older center. He was also set to become an RFA uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, more of a, a third-line penalty-killing type of guy. He's got some scoring touch as well. Uh, give me your thoughts on Ross Colton to the Avalanche. 
I said they could find somebody that fills the role at that 3C a little bit better. They turned around that early second and did just that. I think he's exactly the kind of player that a contending team wants on a 3C. I don't think Tampa was happy to part ways with him, but they're a team that's cap-strapped themselves. So, uh, yeah, I think he's going to be a good fit for him. I am interested to see what the contract comes in at, though. Yeah, me as well. I think uh, if this contract comes in cheaper than New Hook, it's a win for Colorado uh, because they ended up turning New Hook into Colton yeah. and the 31st pick in the draft. So good bit of value for them as long as they can uh, rein in the number here for Colton. And then, uh, like you said, on Tampa Bay's side, not a great return for a pretty solid young player, but they did not have much leverage here. They probably weren't going to be able to sign him. And he uh, was going to be a free agent, although a restricted free agent, still uh, might not have played for them, even if they hadn't dealt him here with a draft. So yeah. uh, just had to pick up some value. They got the, the 37th pick. Uh, it's, it could have been worse. All righty, let's get to the big one. I think yeah. probably the most uh, influential trade just from a uh you know dynamic player standpoint to uh at, at least so far in the uh this free agency period that is the los angeles kings picking up pierre luc dubois from the winnipeg jets this one was long rumored these two uh were pretty compatible trade partners from the start just because of the combination of uh the king's needs and the winnipeg jets kind of going into a fire sale this summer it seems uh, I was surprised to see uh, there wasn't more traction on trying to include uh, Hellebuck in this trade too, but they get it done with just Pierre-Luc Dubois to this point. Winnipeg picks up Gabe Velarde, uh, a good young center. Alex Iafalo, a little bit older, but uh, really solid middle six forward. Rasmus Kupari, who was a first-round pick a couple years ago. He's disappointed slightly, but still a decent asset. And then a 2024 second-round pick, so quite a haul for the Jets. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, um, I think PLD is the best player involved in the trade. Probably best player that was moved so far, like you said. Um, the contract extension is hefty, but I think that he, the, he is a good fit for the Kings. They like their big bodies. He's good in front of the net. He can maybe take some of that weight off of Anze Kopitar. But they're going to have some real cap issues. They only have about $4.5 in cap space. They still have some roster spots to fill. Even if Brant Clark makes a full-time jump and Turcotte is in the lineup full-time, they're going to have to sign a starting goalie and at least one more defenseman. So they're definitely going to be in a tight spot. On the flip side of that, Winnipeg, I think, did pretty dang good for having a player that they didn't have much leverage with, especially considering all the rumors that he only wanted to go to Montreal. So I think to get the amount of assets they did and the quality of assets they got was quite outstanding on their half. Yeah, uh, I, I liked what Winnipeg did from an asset standpoint. I was a little surprised to see them not go with uh, more futures. Uh, there seems like they're kind of trying to retool a bit here, so they might not go for the full fire sale that we expect. Or maybe they'll just try to contend off the start, and then you know then you can go ahead and sell your pieces at that point if it doesn't yeah. work out. Not a horrible strategy, I suppose. I have Fallow's uh, a yeah, flippable asset too, though. Exactly. Yeah, I think all of them are. Um you know, obviously, Velarde is someone you could probably just hang on yeah, to. He's pretty yeah. young. Uh, but like you said, Ayafalo, flippable asset. And then uh, even their big guys that are rumored to be out the door, a Hellebuck, uh, Shifley, Wheeler. A Shifley, uh, Wheeler, they're all flippable assets uh, with a little retention on their salary. But okay, with uh, like it from Winnipeg's side. The Kings' side, I get 
that he uh, that PLD is the best player in this deal, and a lot of times in pretty much any sport, I think that's kind of the the thing you're looking for from a trade is the team getting the best player in the deal is usually going to win that deal. But I'm just not a huge fan of Pierre Luc Dubois myself. He has a lot of inconsistency to his game. Eight and a half million per year says the Kings see him as a first line center, and he has to play that way to uh, to make this worth it. Uh, but I. I think that is a you know a coin flip proposition at best. So hopefully the Kings can get him some proper motivation, and he can uh, you know be the player he should be, hundred percent of the time. But uh, there's a little been a little bit too much inconsistency that I've seen to be comfortable throwing out an eight by eight and a half deal for him. Uh, I do like the fact that he's 25. I think if you're going to take a shot on a you know somewhat volatile guy like this you might as well take a shot on the 25 year old and yeah. not you know not give another eight-year contract to a 30 something year old player like drew Doughty. uh but uh, i'm i'm not i'm just not a huge fan of pld i think that's a personal bias i get why the kings made the move anything else to add on the uh the the pld trade you want to move on i'm good to move this one was a little surprising to me. Uh, the New Jersey Devils pick up Tyler Toffoli, a winger from the Calgary Flames. They send back uh, a winger, Igor Sharangovich, who in turn signed a two-year by $3.1 million per year deal, as well as a third-round pick in this draft. Um, not great value for Calgary, in my opinion. Eric, what did you think? I agree with you there. I think Foley's going to be an awesome fit in New Jersey. Um, he's a good goal scorer. He's not the most fleet of foot, but they have enough speed on that team. I think he'll be a fine fit along either uh, Heischer or Hughes' wing. And then if they do decide to bump him down to the third line, he's actually done that and done it effectively in his career before. Um, he brings just about anything you want in a rental and like you said, just not good value. Even for a rental, he's a 30-goal scorer with some cup pedigree. You'd think if they waited for the deadline, somebody would have given up quite a lot more than a third-round pick. And I like Sharon Govich. Like, I think he's a good middle six player. He's got some upside. But like Tyler Toffoli is a really good player on a good contract. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there with the uh, the point of being able to flip him at the deadline this year, especially because of his very uh, reasonable cap number. He is uh, at about four and a half million, maybe a little more than that. But he's just under super that cheap four for two five. Four two five coming uh, for a guy coming off a uh, seventy plus point year on a disappointing Calgary team. I think he led them in points, uh, goals again, like and said, points. I believe. Cup. Cup pedigree. Uh, yeah, I was very surprised to see them ship him off for anything less than, you know, a great deal because they didn't, they were not, this is not a team that was backed up against the cap or Mm-mm, needed to, no. you know, shed salary. Uh, it looks like Calgary's kind of trying to hit the reset button, but uh, I think you could have just held on to Toffoli and at least gotten this sort of value, like you said, midseason at the very least, and maybe even more if Toffoli's playing well again yeah. and it comes deadline and he's one of the best two or three players available, you know, somebody's going to overpay for him. We saw first round picks flying all over flying the, off past, the board. Uh, yeah. I, I just, I don't understand it. I think they must see Sharon Govich in a different light than a lot of us on the, uh, you know, in the general public. Do. Yeah, Otherwise maybe. this deal does not make too much sense. Uh, so they, they at least did lock him up to a relatively cheap deal. We'll see if they can, Unlock something in Sharon Govich that we just don't see, but I believe he's just a you know a solid middle six type of forward, not much more than that. 
we'll see. Great fit for New Jersey, though. Yeah, they did really well here. And I think they did really well on this deal as well. They did end up uh, they ended up extending Timo Meyer. He signed an eight-year deal at $8.8 million per year. Really good business for the Devils, I think. This number is on the lower end of what a lot of people expected, so uh, really hard to argue with. They had to get it done after paying uh, a pretty penny to acquire his services. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Um, good deal for Timo, too. Eight, eight and a half is great business for him, and then it's also reasonable on the Devils' side. I think they're going to be a force for a long time, continue to do awesome business this offseason. All their deals, I think, I've liked all their moves. Yeah, the Devils look set up uh, for a nice little run here for the next four or five years. A lot of really good young talent up front, uh, especially in the forward core, and still some decent talent in the pipeline that is uh, making its way to the NHL right now. Last trade here of note, anyway. Uh, this one snuck in, I believe, today. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know if it was it was either today or, early, or very late yesterday, but Riley Smith, the Cup winning Vegas Golden Knights not sitting on their hands. They are dealing one of their original uh, players that they selected in the expansion draft, or I don't know if they selected him or they ended up taking him in, in conjunction with agreeing not to take someone else. There was a lot of that going on. But in any case, Riley Smith's been with them since the uh, the franchise was uh, started back in 2016. So, or 2016, 2017? I'm not sure. Either way, uh Pittsburgh picks him up for a third-round pick next year. Uh, give me your thoughts on Riley Smith to the Penguins. I, I, it's a pretty standard cap casualty for Vegas. Um, to get a third-round pick back, I mean, they've given up players a similar pedigree for less, so I guess they're happy with a return. But for Ve or for Pittsburgh on the other side of that, I think he is a decent fit for them. He's a good player. He can play up and down their lineup, so I think they did pretty well on the flip side of it as well. Yeah, I, I don't love it as much for Pittsburgh. I think it's a fine move. Uh, they Again, I think it's similar to the the, the logic we were using for uh, your Blackhawks earlier with Taylor Hall. It's probably better to pick up Riley Smith on a two-year yeah. deal, even if he's slightly overpaid, than to give Go into free agency. a five- or six-year deal that is most likely not going to work out You know, three years down the line if it even works out in the first couple. So I get it from that perspective, but to give up a third-round pick, which is not – Nothing. Uh, yeah, I, I was a little not. surprised they had to give up anything at all, especially with how coveted salary cap space was and how uh, backed up Vegas was going to be. I think they were yeah. going to have to deal Riley Smith one way or another. And, um, you know, I, I, I think they could have just waited out the nights. I don't know if anybody else is going to pay this much for Riley Smith's services. But at the end of the day, third round pick, if you think he's going to fit in with your team, he provides quality depth. I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Couple more extensions to get to before we jump into the round one reaction. The Vegas Golden Knights cleared space by trading Riley Smith and immediately gave that money to Ivan Barbashev, who signed a five by five deal. I will give an, uh, a shout you out to Eric. Up on me a little he did not bit. Not the Vegas Golden Knights to resign Barbashev, but he did nail five by five exactly for Barbashev's contract. So uh, kudos there, buddy. Give me your thoughts on the extension. I'm sorry, Nick is frozen on my head. Oh, Eric, are we breaking up, sir? All right, I will give my thoughts on the Barbashev extension while Eric loads back in here. Uh, I think it's a solid deal for Vegas. They pay uh, a 
probably slightly over market value for Barbashev to keep him around after a great run in the Stanley Cup final. If he plays well alongside Eichel's flank, this will be just fine. Uh, this is one of those deals that could hurt three or four years in, but Vegas doesn't really care about that. They're trying to win uh, cups the next year or two with the core they have. So it's a it's it's a fine extension. Eric, are we back? Yeah, yeah. I caught the end of that. And that's, Give your thoughts yeah. on the Barbashev extension. Basically the exact same thing. Um, maybe a bit of a Fair enough. overpay for somebody who hasn't been the most consistent, but if he continues to produce, if he's playing on Eichel's wing, I think he'll be a point getter, and I think he'll be a good fit for him. He's a playoff-style player, so it's fine. Yeah, small sample size, but he did really seem to mesh well with Jack Eichel. So if, if, if that continues, then this will be a, uh, a very solid signing for the Knights, especially if the cap jumps up as yeah, that's true. Uh, next year. He's not that, that old either. Quite a bit. No, he's not. Yeah, I believe he's only 27. And then uh, the last extension here, I didn't even, I was considering leaving this off. I didn't know if it was noteworthy enough, but Toronto uh, signed David Kampf to a four-year deal, two and a half million per. He is a you know third line, fourth line center type, kills penalties for them. Uh, what do you think? It's it's pricey and it's long, but he, he does fill a role. He's good at what he does, I guess. <laughs> Not sure they had to do this before July 1st, but it's there. Yeah, I think if you're the Leafs, this is the type of player you should be picking up on one year, you know, one million type of deals yeah. uh, in the free agency period. If you're going to be fitting all of these heavy hitters exactly. under the cap in the years to come, don't know. I mean, yeah, even a million, one and a half million can make a big difference to a team like Toronto. So I'm not sure I agree with it. Camp is a fine player, but yeah, like you said, too many years and a slightly too high of a number. So I uh, I did not love this deal for them, but I, I don't know. I, it's not going to kill them. It's just it's a little surprising to see this team that is very strapped for cap space give a four year yeah. deal to uh, basically a fourth line center. And it's not like he's like a physical big dude that plays in the playoffs really well. Like he's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very surprising uh, contract here, I think, for both of us. But uh, we'll see if Toronto's if Toronto's able to keep uh, Nylander and Matthews around long term. They're not going to really care about this signing at the end of the day. Let's go ahead and jump into the round one reaction. Uh, Eric, I'll let you go first, I suppose, since your team picks it first. Uh, well, I'm actually going to start off by saying I think that it's bullshit that there were no trades. I wanted us to trade yeah. up again in the draft. I wanted us to no take Connor Bedard all, right? and then maybe even trade up to like three and get Matvey Mitchkov to go along okay. with him. But all right, yeah, all right, sure. Yeah, that didn't happen. So anyway. we had to settle with only play. getting the best prospect since Wayne Gretzky in Connor Bedard. So I guess I'll settle for having you know God upon earth in Blackhawk. No, no, no. He did just don't just stop. All right, nah. The Connor Bedard broke his wrist and it made him Superman. Haven't you heard the story? No, and I don't care to, but uh, I'm sure you're going to tell it anyway. I mean, he broke his wrist and then it made him shoot better because he had to like practice shooting with one hand. Yeah, well, we'll see uh, after he breaks that wrist again if you're uh, so enthusiastic about it. But uh, That's when Nick Foligno fills you with all the fists <laughs> in the world. Well, that's not going to fix his wrist, so he can punch uh, whoever it is as many times as he wants. It's not going not gonna to do anything from a medical perspective. Uh, let's just go over a couple more notable picks. Like you said, there were no trades, not one trade. I don't that that I saw. I, I mean, I I was watching most of this draft, so I, I I looked away for you know 
couple picks at a time here and there, but I did not see one trade come through, which is almost unbelievable. I think that that is, that's the, I, I, I don't know. I haven't watched every draft that, you know, I've been following hockey for, but I, uh, I can't imagine that there's been another first round where no trades have gone down uh, from start to finish. It was a very surprising development, especially because, because there was a lot of, a lot of rumors going around before the draft began that there was going to be a decent amount of action. So, uh, surprised and disappointed to see because trading is fun and uh, makes for easy conversation. But let's just go through a couple notable picks. Leo Carlson goes number two to Anaheim instead of uh, Adam Fantilli, who was long considered the uh, you know far and away second best prospect. What do you think from Anaheim's perspective? Any logic behind this move that you can get behind? Uh, that I can get behind, no. Um, I loved everything about Adam Fantilli. If Connor Bedard didn't exist, I would have loved to have him first overall, too, in a lot of drafts. Um, I think Leo Carlson's still a really good prospect, but I don't think he's quite on the tier that Adam Fantilli is. Yeah, it was kind of weird. There was a lot of smoke about Adam Fantilli possibly not going to in the days leading up to the draft This, you know, that, that sort of thing happens in sports a lot where teams will kind of just try to throw you off the scent for whatever reason. But, um, at Anaheim clearly just, there was something that they did not love about Fantilli because I, I'm not even sure they would argue that Carlson's ceiling is not as high as Fantilli's. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody that would argue that. So uh, clearly there was just something that they uh, either really liked about Carlson or just didn't love about Fantilli. So a little surprising. I agree with you. I would have gone uh, with Fantilli for sure. But Leo Carlson also a, a pretty a good number two overall pick. In most years, again, this would be a guy that would be in consideration for one. But we just had two somewhat generational prospects and maybe even a third. But uh, we'll get to that later. Eric, yeah. uh, do you want to? with your next notable selection here yeah i got a uh, montreal taking david reinbacher at number five right-handed defenseman i think it's notable just because there was a lot of rumors about montreal possibly wanting to move off this pick at five and then also i think they did one of the cardinal sins in drafting i think they drafted for fit instead of drafting the best player they really do lack some like high-end right defensemen so i think they drafted that instead of maybe taking some forwards that were better yeah, it's uh, Reinbacher got pushed up quite a bit because of the lack of high-end defensive talent in this draft. He was pretty far and away the best one. Uh, there were some that liked the guy that went actually number six to Arizona, uh, Dmitry Shimashev, a little bit more. But David Reinbacher, just this is a classic case of uh, it, just picture it like uh, an NFL draft where there's a lack of QB talent at the top. No matter who the best guy is, even if he shouldn't be drafted in the first round, he gets pushed up because of yeah. uh, you know just the need of certain teams, and Montreal needed a D-man. They probably could have waited a little bit and gotten the same player, but again, uh, they, they really needed defense, so they, they go with Reinbacher here. My uh, next notable selection, I just talked about it, it was Dmitry Shimashev for Arizona. Similar story here. I think this is a player, again, that was probably more like 10 to 15 on actual overall talent, but Arizona pushed uh, pushed him up the board a little bit because of need. They didn't know if he was going to be there at 12, and uh, I, again, I, I agree with Eric completely. I, I think you draft best player available almost every single time in the NHL, and I, I just don't agree with drafting for need this high. It's not, not something that winning organizations do. Anything to add on uh, Shimashev? Uh, no, I think you hit it on the head there. 
Number seven, Matvey Michkov goes to the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, hard to argue with from Philly's perspective. They're tearing this thing down to the studs. They're going to be bad the next couple of years anyway. I think a three-year timetable on Michkov does not bother them at all. Obviously, the Russian factor is complicating, but he is too good of a talent to pass up at this point. I was uh, I was praying that St. Louis was on the phone with Danny Briere. Yeah. Uh, I, I would have traded one of our first round, you know, I would have traded 10 and 25 or 29 to move up to seven. To get would you gone all three? Not, not for, no, no, I, I don't think all three. I think I, <laughs> it's a long nice. time to wait. The no, op- it is like the, the optics on moving up three spots for three first round <laughs> picks is just not great. It's not. Yeah, no, I feel you. The player himself, I, he is he's an exceptional talent and another guy that probably would have been in consideration at one in most years uh, without the complicating Russian absolutely yeah and uh, Bedard so probably the talent. best Russian uh, prospect since Alex Ovechkin yeah that good legitimately that good I, there were some or coming into this year it was Bedard and Mitchkov and it was there was not much separation between them as far as uh, you know the prospect community was concerned um. Next notable selection I have here, mostly because it was my St. Louis Blues, Dalibor Dvorsky. Uh, not incredibly notable uh, from you know just uh, the, the Blues standpoint. They needed center depth and they needed defenseman depth. They went with a center here, the best one available. He slid a little bit, uh, so it was nice to see the Blues pick up some decent value at ten. I think he was mocked in the uh, the top seven or eight for most people. So uh, I I like the value here at ten. Not much more to add, but I was pretty happy from a Blues fan's perspective. Yeah, I think he's a good player. Started a started a track of players that wore a lot of yellow and blue in their junior career. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, before we get to the next couple guys that did that, uh, throw in your next two notable selections. I got uh, Braden Yeager, center for the Pittsburgh Penguins at 14. Kyle Dubis chose not to trade down. He goes with the centerman. He was also one that was... Mostly mocked in the top 12, so a couple of spots outside of that. Um, he's a relatively big body. I think he might be one that the Pittsburgh tries to push into their lineup earlier than they should. Something to keep an eye on. And then just a few spots later at 19, my Chicago Blackhawks drafted Oliver Moore, a centerman. He is the strongest skater in the draft, and I am thrilled. I cannot wait to see He's not going to be rushing the NHL. He's got a few more years to develop, but I cannot wait to see what he becomes. He can move. I was watching some of his highlights. He is one of the guys that I had my eyes on going into this draft tonight. Yeah, I got to give you another shout out here. You texted me, I believe, while uh, the draft was on pick 12 or 13. Uh, you guys were selecting at 19, and you you called your shot on Oliver Moore. You said you wanted Chicago to pick Oliver Moore if you got there. He slid, and you guys picked him. Uh, so, going um, in, I actually thought we were going to trade up ball. with Pittsburgh to get him, is what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, he was he was projected to go in the high teens uh, on most mocks that I saw, so a good bit of value from you guys getting him at 19. Uh, yeah, I mean, really good skater, something that plays in the NHL level. Worst-case scenario, I think you're looking at a, you know, a decent third-line type of guy here. Uh, skating just plays up, especially for these younger kids. I think that's one of the most projectable traits – that you can yeah, have at speed such a young age. Um, yeah, always a valuable asset in the NHL, even if the rest of his game doesn't necessarily develop. 
Um, next notable selection here on the board, I have Gabriel Perot to the New York Rangers, only because he was another guy that fell down the board a bit. I was hoping he might make it to the Blues at 25. Did not get quite that far, but uh, pretty high-end talent. Uh, I guess there was something that teams did not like about his game that made him fall, but most mocks I saw, again, had him in the top end of the teens. Solid bit of business from the Rangers here who don't have yeah. much in the way of a prospect pool, so... I think this is a pretty good get for them. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on Perot? No, I agree. I think it's pretty solid draft pick, especially for where they ended up falling in the draft. Um, yeah, hard to He argue was playing with, with uh, uh, two of the better to... players oh, in this ahead. draft, too, I think is one of the reasons he might have fallen. Okay. I see. Yeah, that production might have been a little uh, inflated. He had some pretty great numbers in the, yeah. uh, the U.S. Men's Development League. But, again, yeah, I think that's something like uh, – and Andrew Kristall, who played with uh, Connor yeah. Bedard, probably got pushed up a little bit in uh, prospect rankings because he you know, scored a lot of points on a line with a generational talent. Uh, before you get to your Toronto uh, selection, I just want to throw out the, the, the next two Blues first-round picks. They were uh, Otto Stenberg and uh, Theo Lindstein, uh, a center in Stenberg and a defenseman in Lindstein, both Swedish players. I want to just give a shout out to Alex Steen gets hired two days ago as the director of player personnel and the blues select two Swedish players in the first round. So <laughs> clearly he has the ear of our general manager, Doug Armstrong pretty early on in his tenure. Uh, good stuff, Alex. If they don't work out. We know who to blame. You can go ahead with uh, Easton Cowan. Jerry. Yeah. I just, the last notable I had on the board was Easton Cowan. I think it was the first big reach of the draft, um, Big reach. mostly projected towards the end of the second round, early third, maybe. And uh, Toronto goes up, swings for him here. There were still some good defensemen available, which they're really lacking in their system. So interesting to see him go kind of off the board here. Yeah, I guess it's hard to argue with because they went Matthew Nyes late last year in the uh, the draft, and he ends up being an impact player almost immediately for them. Uh, to, for him to play in the playoffs basically within 10 months of being drafted that late in the first round is almost unprecedented. Uh, that That is very impressive, so... Give Toronto some leeway, but I think this new front office has made a few questionable decisions that we talked about earlier with the David Comp contract. Uh, this pick in Easton Cowan, uh, it's it's not a great start for them. We'll see. Uh, they, they should get the benefit of the doubt because, again, uh, we a lot of these guys, as we said, are pretty much just it's a crapshoot once you get past uh, the top 15 to 20 prospects. But still, a, a surprising selection to say the least. Any other thoughts on the first round of the draft there, Eric, or do you want to move over to the updated free agency predictions? Uh, I think I'm good on the first round of the draft there. Sweet. Let's go ahead and move to our free agency predictions. Let's go over uh, the – we're going to go over the, the picks we originally made, and if we decided to change our uh, picks here, we'll give you the reason why. Uh, first one on the board here is Alex Kalorn. He, I originally had him going to Buffalo at four years at $5 million per. I'm going to keep that prediction, although I will admit I think I like yours more. I didn't want to follow you on more than one. I did another one. I, I kind of I switched my prediction to yours down the board here. So I, I didn't want to do that twice, but I, I like your reasoning. Go ahead and give it. I originally had him going to Carolina, two-year, $6 million deal. 
I now have him staying in Tampa Bay on a one-year, three-and-a-half, maybe, million-dollar deal. Um, they... <clears throat> They had to free up. They had to trade Ross Colton to free up some cap space, and I think the reason is that they're going to try and keep Florin around. See how much this core can go through. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It seems like this this might just be one of those guys that's a Tampa Bay lifer, and he would potentially take less money to stay there. He's been there for a long time, and he's been very successful there. So I I I agree with you. I think the Ross Colton trade makes this much much more likely at this point. Yeah. So. We'll see who ends up being right there. Dmitry Orlov, uh, I don't think either one of us are changing our predictions on him. You had him going to Florida at 5 by 7 I had him going to Buffalo at 6 by 7 and a half. Neither one of those teams really filled their need as far as uh, defensemen go, so I think both of those are still very realistic possibilities. Tyler Bertuzzi, this one did have a, uh, a bit of a change here on my end. I had him going to Chicago at first on a 6x6.5, uh, but I think the addition of Taylor Hall probably fills the void that Bertuzzi would have filled uh, in this situation. So I switched my pick to uh, agree with Eric here. I have a slightly different contract. Eric has him re-signing with the Boston Bruins at 8 by 4.5. I have him signing with Boston at 5 by 6, but the reasoning is similar. I think they, they cleared out space for Hall. Excuse me, they cleared out space for Bertuzzi by trading Hall. It makes a little it makes more sense for them to, to hang on to him. Yeah, that was just something I was reading going into some of the weeks leading up to the draft was that they were going to clear out cap, try and bring back Bertuzzi, and I bought that. He was a really good fit there. Yeah, they're probably going to be losing uh, Bergeron and Krejci, too. So they could have some money to play around with. And they also will have a lot of holes in their top six to fill if that is the case. So uh, they will will need to hang on to some guys like Bertuzzi. Only 28, too. I think that's, even at five or six years, not a horrible play for them. Uh, You know, they should be be competing for the next couple of years while uh, Marchand is still an elite-level player. Ryan O'Reilly, another one we are going to both adjust here. Uh, I had him going to Colorado, and Eric agreed with me. But the trade for Ryan Johansson probably nullifies uh, the point that we made that they need a 2C. So uh, I've heard a lot of steam about this, and this may be just me being a bit of an optimist, but I have him coming back to St. Louis on a 4 by 4.5 deal. Uh, I think he takes a little bit of a discount to come home. I've seen just a lot of smoke coming out of this uh, this specific rumor that O'Reilly is considering a return, and I think he would have to take a, a pay cut if he wants to do that. So we'll see if he's motivated, and um, the Blues would love to have him, especially at uh, this number. Yeah, I actually have heard a lot of steam about that too, and we really don't like each other. I didn't want to agree with you, so that's actually – why I went to Winnipeg here at a three by six uh, after trading Dubois looking like Shifley's not going to be around. I think if they're trying to really change the culture in that building, Ryan O'Reilly be a great voice. He still has something in the tank to give to if they're trying to compete. So I think he could be a good fit. Yeah. uh, And in Winnipeg, like if you have him at three by six going to Winnipeg, I think that makes sense. Yeah, They'd probably yeah. be willing to pay him a little bit more uh, to acquire his services. And if O'Reilly's looking for a payday, that's not a bad place to go because uh, again, Winnipeg usually has to slightly overpay their free agents to get them to to come up to Winnipeg. It's pretty far north. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Aiden Hill. Uh, you changed your pick on Aiden Hill, the goalie from the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm going to stick with my original prediction of him going to Ottawa on a 4x5, but uh, 
give me your uh, new destination here. Yeah, I originally had him going to Toronto at a 4x5, but I actually have him going to L.A. now. Um, L.A., I think, is really trying to push over that hump, and they're basically the only team like that that doesn't have any sort of plan at all at goaltender, so I think it could make sense for them to go after a guy like Aiden Hill. Although I did say earlier, their cap crunch issues, not really sure how they're going to make that work. It does make uh, some sense for them to pick up Aiden Hill. Like you said, they, they definitely need uh, another guy to get in there and at least play 1A to slash 1B to Phoenix Copley. They can't go into the year uh, with that as their plan at goalie, but I think it would be it would be pretty pretty interesting move for the Kings to ship out Cal Peterson and pay the Flyers <laughs> to do so and then sign another potentially disastrous contract at the exact same number. So, <laughs> I, I think they could end up signing Hill if they do if they go through with this. And, Dude, that's you know, a Rob Blake classic a similar man. situation. Yeah, I, I I agree. I I think I could see it happening, but it would just be funny to if the Kings find themselves in the exact same situation that they are that they were in this past summer with Cal Peterson in a couple of years with Aiden Hill. But uh, they definitely need a warm body, so there's not a ton available on the free agent goalie market either. Uh, this this, yeah. this makes some sense. Uh, Ivan Barbashev was in our original predictions, but he ended up signing that extension with Vegas that we talked about earlier. Uh, again, shout out to Eric. He nailed the five by five. Vladimir Tarasenko, neither one of us changed our prediction with him. I had him going to Carolina on a 5x6. Eric had him going to Seattle on a 5x7.5. Neither one of those teams has done uh, too much in the the free agency period here, so it makes some sense uh, to just keep those predictions the same. Patrick Kane, similar situation here. I had him going to New York on a 3x5.5. Eric has him going to Vegas on a 1x5. both of us have the same destinations here. Neither one of uh, the needs have changed too much for either one of those teams. Um, Michael Bunting. We have, we have him going to the same destinations as well. I had him going to Winnipeg on a 4 by 5 Eric keeps him uh, in the Chicago Blackhawks uniform on a 4 by 6 We'll see how that works out. Um, looks like Eric has left the chat. I believe his, uh, computer died really solid bit of work there, uh, for my podcast, uh, co-host. Luckily we were just coming to the end of this free agency, uh, prediction wrap up. So I will just go ahead and finish this out here. The last guy that we had to go over here is JT Comper. I originally had him going to Pittsburgh on a five by five, but the addition of Riley Smith probably fills the void that Comper was going to fill here. So I updated it to Detroit. Similar style situation here. They uh, they need to slightly overpay players to uh, get them to come in free agency, and they need more uh, bodies in the middle six to help fill out their roster. I have a five by five point seven five projection on the contract. Eric hasn't going to Columbus on a five by four point five. So we'll see who's right there. Not uh, much else here in the way of free agents to talk about. I was going to get Eric's thoughts on Jonathan Taze, but we'll have to save that for a future episode. Guys, thank you for sticking around for the whole thing. Please comment, like, and subscribe to the videos. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if that's the medium you choose to uh, consume the content. We appreciate you all. We will talk to you soon. Peace out.